Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, this is Devin Townsend from Strapping Young Lad and you are listening to Talking Metal. This is Chris from The Flood. You're listening to Talking Metal. Hey guys, welcome to Talking Metal. Glad you can join us. If you missed the last live show, it was uh, it was a great show. You can always tune in, you know, to catch those reruns every Tuesday at 7 p.m. East Coast time, 4 p.m. Pacific Coast time on Bionic Striegel Radio to check out the rerun of Talking Metal Live, or or just go to TalkingMetalLive.com. You can hear them there too. So, anyways, um, yeah, we had a great, great live show last time. We had some trouble getting on the air. I think we actually didn't get on the air until like 7.15, 7.20 due to some technical difficulties. But it ended up being a great show, and we had Devin Townsend call in. We had a lot of static going on on the line with Devin when he called in. We tried to clean it up. We're going to play it for you now. And uh, Devin, you know... I had all these questions about certain songs and this album and that album and when's the last time you spoke with Steve Vai and all this type of stuff. I I didn't ask one of them. I mean, basically, Devin just kind of had some stuff on his mind and kind of just let loose on us and uh, in a good way, and, and we were happy to be there for him. And check it out. I think it's a great interview. And always a, a pleasure to talk with this guy. He is a genius, uh, one of the best musicians out there now, not just uh, metal. I'm talking all over the board. Anyways, this is a, an older song, one of my favorites. It's called Regulator by Devin Townsend. We will follow that with the interview.
<laughs> what you just heard was Devin Townsend, Regulator, a classic by Devin. Devin, are you online there? I certainly am, sir. Thank you so much for calling in to Talking Metal Live. <laughs> hey, Devin, thanks for bearing with us while we were getting the telephone numbers correctly. This is John. That was Mark. And, uh, Devin, I want to say that I had a great time hanging out with you at the Gibson Guitar Showroom in New York the other day. Cool. Yeah, me too, man. I haven't seen you in a long time. Not since OzFest, I guess. I know, absolutely. We had a blast. Mark and I interviewed you over at OzFest. And which OzFest was that? I believe it was 2007 with Strapping Young Lad. Yeah, yeah, one of those. It might have been even 2006. But uh, it was definitely an OzFest. And I think that, uh, you know, an OzFest is pretty much an OzFest from my experience. And you, I remember at the time telling us that you didn't really feel like Strapping Young Lad was fitting in all that great with what was happening that year on OzFest. Well, you know, as a as a, a slight analogy here, I have this tendency to not be able to figure things out until either they're uh, too deep into it to change or until uh, the moment is passed. Honestly, I'm one of those cats that... You know, you give me a decision to make, and it, I can ruminate on it for years before I finally come to a conclusion about how I feel about it. And I mean, in one way, when I finally get to the conclusion, I've you know made a decision that I'm 100% confident with. But on, in another way, it takes me 15 different tries to kind of whittle down what I don't like in order for me to find out what I do like. And uh, you know, musically, that's uh, helped in a certain way because it's allowed me to make various different types of music, you know, that um, stylistically have all been uh, fairly uh, individual from each other, from the heaviness of Strapping on Lad to the more, you know, uh, somber kind of ocean machine to the, you know, Ziltoids and Key and all these things. They're all, they're all pretty specific unto themselves. And I think, you know, what I've, I've come to the conclusion of in a lot of ways is that, you know, maybe what my calling is, is to find a way to integrate all of that into one place as opposed to beating my head against the wall going, well, you're not going to be able to market me anyway because, you know, some days I'm a metalhead and some days I'm a acoustic guy and, and whatever, right? So I guess what I'm trying to say here is that uh, in terms of this long decision-making process, I think that the records I've done have been, you know, processes of elimination. And when I was doing OzFest 2006, I was kind of getting rid of that one thing in my world, the really heavy kind of thrash metal strapping and lad element of me. Yes, I do that. Yes, that's a part of me. But to the exclusion of everything else, you know, I came to the conclusion during that tour that that wasn't for me. Well, Devin, I heard you playing some unbelievable guitar on a Gibson 345, and I was blown away at the fact that you can just pick up a guitar and just sound good playing whatever's coming off the top of your head. And what you told me that I thought was amazing is that you just want to play clean guitar now. Well, you know, this is the thing. You know, it's funny. This, this Devin Townsend project that I'm doing now is a four-record process, right? And the initial thought was that over the past four years, you know, I, I quit doing drugs, I quit drinking, I had a kid, I, you know, cut the stinky hair off, the whole works, right? And, you know... 38 years old, 37 years old, whatever the heck I am now. And I think that when I decided first to do these four records, I thought, okay, well, again, process of elimination. Let's do one record that's like this, another record that's like this, and just, you know, throw all the cards out. Let's decide at the end of it, you know, which one of those is the one that you want to pursue. And so I finished Key, came out a couple of months back, and I'm just mixing the second record called Addicted and getting ready to do the third record, Deconstruction, which is really heavy. And in all honesty, man, I came to the conclusion, maybe not at Gibson while I was sitting there, but in that certain four-day period when I was in New York last week, that really what comes most naturally to me, more than anything, more than, you know, chaotic metal, more than complicated orchestral music, more than, you know funny stuff or dancey stuff or, or highly produced, pro-tooled out kind of heavy stuff is me sitting with a clean guitar and a tape echo and improvising. And so I'm trying to figure out a way to make that work, you know? And I think that, you know, what I initially found was that by quitting doing drugs four years ago, when I say drugs, I'm not talking heroin or cocaine or anything. I'm just talking about marijuana, right? When I quit doing that, 
I came to the conclusion that a lot of my process was heavily invested in that routine. For example, when I was doing heavy music, the way for me to kind of transcend this kind of typical heavy music that either I had done or was kind of uh, apropos for the uh, metal scene was to get really high, you know, and get really drunk and kind of get outside of myself. And I happened to make this music that was really intense in a lot of ways, strapping on lads and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And I became, in my own mind, kind of like fascinated and in a way addicted to that uh, feeling that I was capable of doing this thing. But what I started to come to the conclusion of is what that brings into my life, regardless of the ego boost that I get from being able to physically do that, is problems. For example, it puts me on tour and metal tours. And, you know, hey, I like metal. I've always liked metal. But it's a dynamic for me. And by you know, accepting this kind of routine as being something that, you know, I had to do, I found myself constantly doing things that I either wasn't interested in or was uncomfortable doing. For example, touring in a metal band for 12 months of the year or 10 months of the year. And, you know, my social circle was just a lot of folks that, you know, were heavily invested in being in a metal band, right? Right. And so when I quit doing the drugs, I started thinking to myself, well, maybe I'm not going to be able to do that anymore. Maybe my whole thing was so wrapped up in that that I'm not actually that guy. Maybe that was something that I was kind of, you know, artificially producing. And as a matter of fact, not only did it cause problems in terms of like touring, but also mentally. If you're predisposed to mental illness of any sort, you know, you can take all the medication in the world, but if you counteract it by doing things that are toxins, such as drugs or alcohol, then you're just basically going to make yourself crazy, right? Well, I'm amazed, Devin, that uh, even in a state where you might have been uh, doing, you know, not heavy-duty drugs, but like stuff like marijuana, you were still capable of writing, recording, and playing very technical, amazing metal. And not only that, just your work ethic has always been just so intense compared to major label bands for, you know, for your well, output. I think the thing is, again, it's like I had to come to the conclusion of what do I really want to hear? Not as opposed, as opposed to what can you do, you know? Sure, you can make a ton of different things with what you're, you know, with what you're capable of, of, of achieving. Like, you can make chaotic metal if you put your mind in that zone. You can make a lot of things. And I think if you, you know, for myself, I'm like, I think I'd be good at whatever I choose to do. I just have to kind of commit to what it is that I want to do with my life, you know? Do I want to be a heavy metal singer for the rest of my life? Do I want to be somebody who goes out every night and it's just like, you know, and I started thinking to myself, no, actually, when I was a teenager, before I got into thrash metal and all that sort of, before the Metallicas, before the Slayers, before the Grim Reapers and the Wasps and all that, honestly, man, I listened to Enya, I listened to uh, acoustic music, I listened to folk music, and that was actually much more of where I started than, okay, well, I was a rocker from, from day one, right? But I think, you know, when, I, when you're going to school, it's a lot cooler to come up and say, hey, guys, I know how to play the intro to the Sentinel than right. check it out, you know, <laughs> I got the new Enya disc, right. you know? So I think that now I'm kind of starting to be more honest with myself and what I want to do. That What you saw me do with Gibson playing the guitar there, maybe that's what I really, really want to do. You know, and above and beyond that, what else do I want to do? How do I express the chaotic part of me, the metal side of me, the complicated part of me? Because that's obviously still a part. How do you do that? And I'm thinking, well, I want to make a musical. I want to make something that is so over the top. And I'm not talking, like, you know, I saw Sweeney Todd the other day, right? And just there's that kind of cringeworthy 70s aesthetic of people like talking the lyrics. You know, throughout the, you know, like going down the street, going down the street. Now I'm going into a room. You know, it's just like, it's just like, oh God, stop it. You know. <laughs> but what I want to do with the musical is take that ziltoid and strapping and ocean machine and all that, and make a story that is illustrated by every dynamic with that. But when I really play guitar, what do I want to do? I just want to play some clean guitar. Well, it sounded amazing, and 
I met a few of the musicians that you were playing with, and one of the things that I know is that for each of the four albums that you're planning to put out, you're having a completely different lineup on each record, depending on what fits best for that album. That's right. So with the uh, first record, we had, you know, the, it's like the beginning of the story because all these four records are, are connected in some way. So with Key, the whole idea was to include musicians that were in a similar state, either uh, doing things that were out of their element and the kind of trepidation that comes with that. And namely, I wanted folks that were a little older than me and were perhaps past some of the hang-ups that, uh, you know, a lot of musicians you know, my age are, not necessarily people I've played with, but, you know, just, you get a bunch of musicians who are 23, and they're going to have 23-year-old problems, right? So, you know, when you find musicians that are, say, in their 60s, or in their 50s, obviously they're going to have a different, you know, collection of problems, but the ones that have kind of been plaguing me artistically are, are kind of resolved in a lot of ways, you know, like, it's really important, for example, for the drummer to show everybody that he's the best drummer in the world, right? You get a guy who's in his mid-60s, and it's not really the motivation as much as just like, well, what does this song require? So for Key, I got a couple of guys, Duris and Jean, and uh, again, they're older cats, and I said, well, here's music that's out of your comfort zone, and I'm going to play tones and lyrics that are out of my comfort zone, and conceptually, it will begin the beginning of the story. There's Key. And the second record, Addicted, which I finished last week, but I'm going to sit on for a couple of months because I really need to think about it and change it, a couple of things and get the mix right. And for that, I wanted to use musicians who were my oldest friends and were my same age and who perhaps have kids like me or, you know, are financially in a similar boat as me, right? So the people in Addicted were all along that line, right? Even Annika, the singer, who's the, the lady singer on the record who used to be in The Gathering years ago, she's about my age, she's got a kid, you know? So we're all kind of like fighting through this particular period of life as musicians, and it seemed to make sense. And then for Deconstruction, which will be this musical that I've been talking about, which is the third record, I am looking to have hundreds of people on it, in all honesty. Whether or not that transpires will be strictly a financial matter, but I want to get that record to be an event, not only for the drummers, which there will be multiple, or the bass players, or guitar players, or singers, but I want it just to be this big, huge metaphor, right, that essentially summarizes this process of elimination that I've been discussing here in a way that in, you know, in all honesty will negate the whole, you know, the whole quest, right? The whole deconstruction is taking it apart. Why are you, you know, floundering in terms of what you want to do? Why do you have such a hard time making up these, your mind on things? Why do you uh, revolt against things that come so naturally to you, i.e. the heavy, complicated music? So... By trying to figure that out, deconstruction will essentially be a journey into that and see how far and how complicated we can get. I had said at one point it was going to be the heaviest thing I'd ever done, and I don't know about that, in all honesty. You know, I listen to some of the old strapping stuff, and I'm not there anymore. So honestly, I don't think it will be as visceral as some of the music that I've done in the past. But in terms of the focus and the complication of it, it's going to be really, really incredibly heavy. And it may take a lot longer than I'd originally planned, but it is written. And then the final record, I'm hoping, will be me and a clean guitar, an acoustic guitar player, and just play some improv. Very cool. Very cool. And yeah. long-winded. Yeah, I mean, it sounds uh, like you really... I mean, what's cool is you kind of have a, a basic plan as to where you're going. And is the plan flexible? I mean, will you kind of veer from it if necessary? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. In all honesty, you know, the plan is a template, you know, and uh, I've had this tendency to know more about myself than I know, you know, and I kind of guide myself by giving myself deadlines or projects. And at the end of it, I usually come out of it just saying, okay, well, you've kind of taught yourself this or that or the other thing. 
as a result of putting yourself in this position of having to deal with it. So these four records, again, going back to the process of elimination, I've written things that will get it out of my system in a lot of ways and purge it. And what I found even by doing Addicted, the second record, is, I mean, I think it's an excellent record, but after Key, it's such a throwback to the style that I had done before, the kind of big wall of sound, echoey, you know, heavy kind of ocean machine-y, you know, melodic sort of thing, that, you know, I don't know. It's like I'm sitting on it now. It's finished. I think it's an excellent record. But is that what I want to present right now? And I don't know. There's a possibility in terms of, like, the flexibility of the schedule that I may incorporate that into the third record and make the whole thing the metaphor, right? Who knows, man? I may go to the beach and sell all my gear. Right. You know, I love it, Devin, because here's you're a guy that everybody knows knows what he's doing you can if you wanted to the easiest thing for you to do would be to put out another heavy album Stravino lad style and get on another tour you know one of these summer festivals and all that but guess what i think what you're doing is the most true kind of music that a musician can do because you that's easy the stuff that everybody else is doing is easier for you you can do that but you're kind of saying look i don't care what i said and if the third album was going to be the heaviest and now maybe i feel differently you're just being so honest that you're doing what you want to do and to me for me as a listener that's what i want i want the real deal and that's what i'm getting if i'm listening to your stuff i really appreciate that observation i think the thing that goes along with that is i'm surprised myself about what the real deal is you know wow. when I was sitting there at Gibson the other day I'm thinking to myself you know there's a high possibility that this is the real deal and if that's the case how the hell am I going to make a living you know how am I going to be able because of course you know I had this offer today where the guys I like, put together a heavy band and come headline a bunch of festivals in Australia we'll pay you a ton of money you know and at this moment I, you know man money's tight for everybody right right and I, I said no, because ultimately, I'm going to end up unhappy again. And the reason I took this sabbatical was to figure my trip out. And I guess the thing that, that you know, at first I thought, well, you know, face your fear. Get out there and do it. You have this capacity to do music that's so over the top that if you're afraid of that, you have to conquer that fear. But what I'm finding is... It's not that I'm necessarily afraid of it. It's just what it takes for me to be able to create that is, and when I say unhealthy, I don't mean just like, you know, oh boy, I got a headache after it's done. I mean like, it puts me in a position where I end up drinking and doing drugs, trying to, you know, appease this image of myself that I've created over the years, you know, and to kind of say to people, hey, look, you know, can I come to the party? Am I still invited? You know, can you give me money so I can continue to pay my rent or whatever? But, you know, what I'm finding now is it's like, well, what happens if it is quiet music? What happens if it is improvised music on a clean guitar? You know, what happens if, you know, there is no endorsements? What happens if all that comes to truth? Then what am I going to do? And I'm starting to think, well, you know what? You might not be on a tour in the middle of winter with a bunch of bands that you don't relate to, playing music that you're tired of. You may be at that point sitting in front of a fire playing guitar for a bunch of people who really appreciate it and paying your rent. And if I do a record like that, possibly before, I might even do this deconstruction, this addicted record and shelve it. Hmm. Just because it all it may, might take for me to come to the conclusion that it's not right anymore is for me to actualize it, right? Right. And at that point, I might do this beautiful music and I might find that my social network slowly turns from people who are disappointed that I'm not doing what my identity was kind of fashioned about to people who are just like, you know what? We didn't like any of the stuff before and now we're new folks in your life and we relate to this. And in all honesty, we like you, you know? And I mean, maybe that is something that the true bravery for me is going to require. You know, the bravery might not be nose of the grindstone. Let's make, you know, the soundtrack to the apocalypse. It might be, well, the bravery might just be 
accepting the fact that that's not really your true calling, right? Right. Well, it's definitely a brave thing to do, and it's just so refreshing for me to hear because I'm so used to press releases and publicists and all these people who say that you're not supposed to say the kind of stuff you're saying, and what you're saying to me is the most honest I've ever heard from anyone. Well, you know, man, it's like the thing is – those press releases make people money, you know, and it's like, I'm struggling, you know, it's, again, it's easy for me to, you know, I do one interview every now and then, and I run into people, and, you know, we talk like we're doing now, but a lot of times it's like, you know, you, you, you have those three o'clock in the morning bouts, and you're just like, I gotta feed the family, right? right. you know, like, maybe I should just, you know, put on a bunch of black clothes and play a flying V, and, you know, tell everybody to show where the sun don't shine, right? Like, maybe that's what I got to do, right? And then there's always something where you wake up in the morning and you're just like, you know what, if you do that, though, you're going to end up in the same position you were three years ago where you're just burnt out, right? you know? And then before you know it, man, I'm going to be 45, 50 years old going, well, what the hell happened? You know, I was basking in the glow of this potential as opposed to accepting the fact that really what that potential is might have been different than I had thought it was all along, you know? So, you know, this whole four-record process, the original plan was like one record every two months, get it out of the system. But I guess the thing is when I put out Key, the first record, I was under the assumption that nobody was going to like it. I was under the assumption that, you know, in fact, I had to throw a bunch of heavy things into that record in order to, you know, appease that, you know, faction of people that were unwilling to accept anything else from me except for heavy, right? But what I found is, yeah, of course, there's a portion of the metal audience that's just kind of like, we hate this, you know, like, we absolutely don't like this. And, you know, I've got some, some acerbic reviews that are just, you know, make my nose bleed when I read them, right? Yet... I'm starting to come to the conclusion that a lot of the folks that are listening to me have been listening to me since we were both 18, you know? Right. And now a lot of us are closing in on 40 and have kids. And, you know, perhaps the reason why strapping a light was no longer viable doesn't negate the fact that it was viable at one time. In fact, when I first started strapping a lab, that's all I wanted to do because I was 23, you know? And the things that made me feel you know, good as an artist, as a human, as a musician, were what made strapping and lead vital. So when that started to become a problem, I had to stand back and say, well, you know, if we're being honest here, I'm out. I've got nothing more to say about that because, you know, if the music is catharsis, then in a lot of ways I've resolved what brought strapping and lead its power. You know, so thank you, strapping young lad. You know, like, you know, a lot of people, you know, I'm reading these things online about bands having turmoil and just like, you know, Jimmy hates Johnny and, you know, and like everybody's got problems and, you know, and everything's like a brand and, a, and an organization, right? Strapping and Lad were some of my best friends ever. You know, we were on tour for years and those guys meant so much to me and the band that we were in, it just, it was an incredible experience and in my opinion an incredible band and so when it's over hey it's over it's not you know it's no it's a drag you know because a lot of people want it to continue yet what made it vital is the same thing that might make this acoustic record vital Mm -hmm. which is the honesty about saying hey this is who I am now and in the future who knows what I'll do I might do a symphony like I say in the future or I might take up cabinet making who knows right so what about producing i mean there was actually a posting on a couple of the metal sites today that you were going to be uh producing a band out of australia i'm just mixing them i'm just mixing, mixing them okay and that's andrew he's been a friend of mine for years and years and years he's he does triple j in australia i met him in like 95 or something right and tribe um, is the band is that right yeah 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 that's but you know it's like i kind of i don't like producing you know, I find it, uh, I get so into what I do that, and I'm not a good businessman, so someone will say, okay, well, we've got enough money for four weeks of your time. And then it ends up spending 10 weeks because I'm a perfectionist, and at the end it costs me money to make these records, right? And, I mean, I enjoy the process, but, man, I can't do that. I just can't, right? So mixing, yeah. I, you know what? This is what I like to do in terms of mixing. Simple mixes, 
not super involved mixes for basically any style, except for like that kind of screen core kind of converged sort of stuff. I just I can't get behind like things that are purposely not tight. It just doesn't work for me, right? And that it's just personal personal opinion. It's got nothing to do with the music. And so to subsidize my income, yeah, I'd love to mix, you know, four or five day long projects for a reasonable amount of money and, you know, do that maybe once or twice a month over the internet, not in person. And then, you know, kind of pick away at my at my musical on the side and play some guitar and record that, right? Like, that sounds great. Well, hey, Devin, I think that your plan is great, and here's the thing. My advice, and, and not that you need mine, is that do your thing, and you've had such an amazing career that, hey, so what if uh, nobody wants to hear a clean guitar album? There are people like me who want to hear it, and guess what? Maybe in five years you're going to be writing symphonies, and that's going to be a new career for you. So I say just be honest like you are being, and I know that your true fans are going to stick with you, like me and like Mark, and uh, we are just honored that you came on Talking Metal tonight, and we would love it if you became almost like a recurring guest and came on and just basically updated us, you know, whenever you feel like it on our show. Absolutely. I'd be honored, man. Thank you so much for the opportunity, guys. I mean, honestly, you know, I'm just kind of sitting here in front of Pro Tools here tonight, and I'm just kind of picking away at what I pick away at, and, you know, and, you know, it's like you, you just, I'd be honored. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's a real pleasure to talk to you guys, and it was great hanging out with you the other day. Thank you, Devin. Thank you very much, Devin. Have and a great night, guys. You have a good night, too, and we hope to talk to you soon. Good I'll luck with here. everything. Cheers. Take care, Devin. Bye-bye. was a song called Quiet Riot with a, a very familiar melody, if you will. Big thanks to Devin Townsend for coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure to speak with that guy. Big fan. Been a fan for a while. And whether he's playing an acoustic in a, you know, in his room, recording it, or he's uh, got a full metal band backing him, he always delivers the goods, and I'm looking forward to everything he will have coming our way in the future. That interview, of course, comes from the last episode of Talking Metal Live. The next episode will be August 25th. Please tune in and join us, guys. We we, we don't get a lot of people tuning into the live show, which is sad. I mean, generally, uh, I hate to say it, but we get like, you know, 30, 40 people tuning into the live show. It's uh you know it's a lot of fun every Tuesday we're doing it. If it's not live, it's a it's a rerun of the previous week. But um we're gonna maybe pick it up. We're thinking of even starting to do them every two weeks, maybe even every week. Who knows? 
But um, yeah, Talking Metal Live, the next live one is scheduled for August 25th at 7 p.m. East Coast time. So please tune in. And if you miss uh, if you miss it, tune in the following Tuesday and listen to the rerun on BionicStriegelRadio.com. Next up, we have an interview with Chris from The Flood. This also took place on our last live edition of Talking Metal. We will end today's show with a song by The Flood called The Flood. And uh, once again, this is Chris from The Flood. Hey, on the line, we got Chris from The Flood. Chris, are you there? I'm here. What's happening? Hey, Chris, thanks for coming on Talking Metal Live, man. How you been? I'm good. I'm good. I've been really, really busy as hell. You guys just wrapped up the 2009 Snowcore Tour with Static X. How would that go? You know, it's amazing when when you're first starting out. And you come out and you, you ride with a good national. And if you're a decent band, the kind of, you know, fan base is generated from it is just, it's incredible. You know, the tour went absolutely fantastic. The people were great. Static X, you know, it's a fantastic band. Really good people. Um, made some really good connections and whatnot. So, uh, yeah. Just gearing up for the next one. Very cool, Chris. You guys deserve it, and uh, you know I'm glad you guys had a great experience with that. Yeah, yeah, cool. it went it went really good. Right now we're uh, we're in the studio, writing some new stuff to get back to Radio Star with Sylvia Macy, and uh, you know lay some more tracks down, and hopefully we're uh, shooting for sometime in November to uh, dump our album. Cool. So, Chris, and talk a little bit about Sylvia for people who might not know who she is about, you know, her really incredible resume, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Sylvia's worked with everyone from, you know, Johnny Cash to Tool to System of the Down. Uh, she herself, was, you know, is a musician. She's been in several different bands. And uh, she got into the recording, you know, the recording gig in the, uh, you know, in the 80s and and worked into the 90s and and so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, she uh, she's she can just she's really good at seeing the potential in in every type and style of music, which is, you know, which which is rare because so many times, you know, we, we stereotype and we. You know, we like to pick and choose, you know, the things that we, you know, we, we want to listen to and, and work with. But uh, Sylvia really has a wide range of listening skills that uh, have helped her to become a successful individual. And, so. and, and how actually did you get hooked up with her? Because, I mean, you know, your band, you guys are known, but you're not like superstars yet, at least. And so how did she actually discover you guys? I mean, was there a tape that was given to her or, or what happened? A funny thing, you know, I kind of knew where I was on the way to uh, as far as, you know, a songwriter and, uh, and a musician. And I had been communicating with Sylvia five years prior to that and letting her hear my stuff. And... You know, she's one of the great things about her is she's super honest. And uh, she'll, you know, at the time she's like, you know, Chris, this, what you have here, vocally, you're where it needs to be instrumentally. It needs work. So let's just, just keep sending me stuff and, you know, we'll see where it goes. And eventually she just, you know, came right in, you know, saying, hey, this is it. Let's do this. This is cool. Now, Chris, did you, after hearing that, change up any of the writing style or even maybe the band members to get to the point where you were, to where you felt that not only vocally did you have something, but both instrumentally as well? You know, you know that that I, that, that had been a, a curse of mine for a long time, uh, just playing with people that either weren't un, weren't unable to understand what it is I was trying to do or able to play their instruments at a level that could accommodate my level of singing. Right. That is an egotistical thing. That's just the way it was. And, and uh, I believe it 100%. And you know what? what's sad is that you're not being egotistical. You're just being realistic. And 
this the thing is that you'd like to you know include everybody that was in the original band and anybody that you might have been friends with but unfortunately that can't always happen no, and, and we always want to take our friends with us if we can, you know, in, in one phase or another. Like, you know, if it's a guitar player that shifts gears and becomes a guitar tech, you know, or, or whatever it is, I like to be able to do that when I can. But like you said, you know, it, you, know you either got it or you don't. And right. you, you can't bring everyone with you, you know. <laughs> it just doesn't work. You know, in the lineup of people I have now, you know, are accommodating the situation in a, a fashion that I feel is very equal. And it's, it's the music's coming around and people are hearing it as being a powerhouse as an individual entity instead of a bunch of separate entities. You know, so that's, that's, I think that's what makes the flood such a good band. Very cool. Now, one of the biggest things for me uh, in a band is making sure you got the right drummer. And Nate uh, sounds great on this stuff. And how did you come up with him? You know, I was playing with a guy, uh, a gentleman named Bill Waters, and he was a real metal player. And uh, Nate was in this progressive kind of primacy style band that uh, played next to us at a place called Hush. And his brother was actually my guitar player, uh, wow. Jesse. And he had told me about his brother, and, you know, I had listened to him and this and that. And I'm like, Jesse, why are we not playing with Nate? Nate, I mean, just he's phenomenal. Why are we not playing with this guy? You know, no offense to Bill, but when I heard Nate, I was totally blown away. And, uh, you know, he had a jazz – he had a style that I just – hadn't ever recognized now there's tons of great drummers but and especially in drumming it's like you know you either hear the same thing all the time or you hear something that stands out that's separate from the rest of them right he actually had he had this style that i just i never had recognized and i was like man that's really cool um you know we should implement that and jesse's like he's my brother dude <laughs> you know? it's like we don't get along that great it's hard to get along with your siblings so, you know, uh, I, the first leg of the music was all, you know, created by, you know, Jesse and Nate and uh, Leo Metcalf and I. And then Jesse, Jesse bowed out. And then, uh, then we got uh, A.J. Marshall uh, for our lead guitar player. But uh, that's, that's basically how I met Nate. There is cool. I like the fact that he has more than just a rock or metal background, and he's bringing some jazz influences to it as well. But, I mean, you know, not that that's going to be the way you guys sound, but just having a drummer that has all of those different influences can open up you guys to do even more than you could do with just a straight-head rock band. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the thing is is that everybody, you know, we all love a challenge. And this music that, that we're trying to create here is is terribly challenging. <laughs> I, mean, I, I believe it. Believe with, me. With all the backbeats and you know, with each individual song having having its having such a you know, it goes from the words to just the the rhythms and whatnot. It's you know, keeping that consistent consistency and you know, keeping that. You know, it's it's nice to have people that, you know, definitely have that variant, you know, and they're playing. So Cool. And Chris, the music you guys are working on at Radio Star, can you talk at all about how this is gonna be released as far as record labels and stuff go? Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, we've you know, we have some labels now that are coming out of the woodwork. You know, it always seems to happen once you've once people are, you know, interested in what you have happening. You know, we're going to try to keep it independent as long as we can. Um, obviously, you know, time is your most precious commodity. You can't buy it back. So you want to free up your time as you know, as soon as possible. So I think what we're gonna do is we're gonna try to drop the album on our own. And it looks like you know, we the next tour that suppose well that is in the works, and I don't I don't think I should tell anybody what's going on yet. I'll leave it as a surprise. 
but uh, I think we're going to try dropping the. I'll give you guys a hint. Okay. You know, November seventeenth cool. is is when I'm hoping to drop the album. Very so, cool. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, you can come back and let us know when you guys are ready to announce anything. Definitely, for sure, man. We'll be glad to put the word out for you guys. We like exclusives here on Talking Metal, but absolutely. Sweet, Chris. So, are, are you right? Are you at Radio Star now, working on stuff? No, we're doing all our pre-production okay. uh, at our studio in Redmond, um, and. Uh, we leave to go to Radio Star on August 7th. Okay, very good. Well, the best of luck with the recording. We are psyched to hear the new material. And as far as getting on touch, in touch with you online, I know the MySpace page is myspace.com slash the flood, the band. Is, there, is that the, the best place for the listeners to get in touch with you? Absolutely. You know, uh, we really maintain MySpace. We're on it, you know, every day, you know, checking out our fans and, and talking to people. Yeah, I would definitely say that that's, you know, there's always the website, but the MySpace is, a, is definitely good for them. Excellent. Cool. And if we could get a Talking Metal ID saying your name, your band, and you're listening to Talking Metal. No problem. Whenever this you're ready. This is Chris from The Flood. You're listening to Talking Metal. Cool. And we're going to get into Flood by the Flood right now on Talking Metal. Chris, best of luck to you, and we hope to talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You too. Thanks, Chris.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.